Oh, do we have a show for you. Peter Thamel, college football writer, he buries sports. There's a financial crisis headed in college football and college sports. Boy, oh boy, do we have a show for you guys. First thing, Peter Thamel, college football writer, Barry Sports. College sports, especially college football, is facing a financial crisis. We have a new segment called Start, Sit, and Cut. Larry Scott gets COVID-19 right when he's getting ready to get fired. Uh, The Pac-12 recruiting. We are going to address new updates there, and we're going to talk about the Civil War name-changing, and of course, the reviews. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. This is the podcast for Pac-12 fans, by Pac-12 fans, where you're going to get the real, get the information. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're going to tell you the good, the bad, the ugly, and we're going to have some fun along the way. Make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. And if you want to get in touch with us, he's at Ralph Amsden on Twitter. I'm at George Reister, and you can find the podcast that you need to follow at at Pac-12Apostles. And of course, share with a friend, not just one friend, but three, four, five friends. And most importantly, leave a five-star review. Not a four-star like Ralph asked for, but a five-star review. And uh, of course, we take note and pay attention to the things that you guys say. Uh, Ralph, are you ready, man? It is time to come back. Who's coming back? Football? Us? What? What's Hold coming on. back? Hold on. What the heck is going on? Hey. No, no, no. I, I know you didn't. Hold on, Ralph. Jeez, please. Oh my, are you kidding me? What the, what is going on in my life right now? Hello? Ralph. Hello? Ralph. Hello? Ralph, can you hear me? Hello? Ralph. Ralph, can you hear me? 
All right, you there? Check, check. Check, check. Hello, bro. What up? What up? My life just fell apart. I was calling you because I was back, but I knocked over water. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> like ten different bad things at once. Okay. Oh, we're 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 still recording clearly. So that's yes. it's great. I, I used the uh, break to pour myself a glass of Di Serono. <laughs> of what? Di Serono. What is Di Serono? You don't know? Oh man, kind of tastes like a sweet Robitussin. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're a, so you're drinking syrup? Okay. Pretty much, it's like an Italian cherry liquor. They used to have these elaborate commercials. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna find one for you. And it was like one of the first alcohols I ever saw when I was a kid. That uh, that I was like, oh, that probably tastes like candy. Um, it tastes like medicine. Uh, but I have a bottle here, and I have nothing to do. So, Ooh, perfect. I'm drinking it. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so where was I? Um. So, Ralph, uh, college football. Actually, no, we're back, but I don't think college football is back, right? Well. <laughs> Um, I, every single day I see the word cancellation or postponement cross my timeline and it's a high school association or a college conference. The Patriot league, uh, just pushed football. I don't know if they canceled it, but Georgetown and, uh, Bucknell and all those schools are taking the fall off and we already have the Ivy league. And so every single day it feels more and more like we're, 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 uh, the forces are closing in all around us, and, and we're about to lose everything. Um, but being a, a Game of Thrones fan, I know that, that 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 doesn't have to be the end. There can always be um, help to come a, a, alongside and bail you out. So I'm I'm hoping for a miracle here. I'm I'm hoping for some troops to arrive. You know, whether that's in the form of some some numbers that are evidence that we stopped being idiots and and lowered this whole thing or, you know, uh, possible good news on the vaccination front, anything, anything to come help us uh, get to get to have a season. Oh, that's nice, Ralph. And, and Santa Claus is going to show up, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but before we get into the first thing, um, guys, I want to encourage you because we are going to talk about it on next week's episode. I know it's going to require a little bit of binge watching, but a lot of you are, you know, have a little extra free time right now. Uh, there's a show on, there's a docu kind of series on Showtime. It's called Outcry. And we are going to talk about it on next episode. So we need you guys to watch. It is about a Texas high school football star. He gets accused and convicted of sexual assault um, against a minor. 
And I know it, I know it sounds, it sounds weird, but it's a football story and we are going to go into it and just talk about it. So if you guys want to participate in that, please watch it. And so we will talk about it on the next episode, but kind of the talk that the, the thing that we, we had a bunch of things that we were going to talk about at first, but then I was listening to uh, Paul Feinbaum today. I like Paul Feinbaum's show. I know I'm a black man in California, so everybody's probably like, you like Paul Feinbaum? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and But um, he had Peter Thamel on, who is a Yahoo sports writer, but he is one of the most influential, would you agree with that, college football writers that there is? Oh, for sure. He's he's always breaking big stories. I think we've discussed him on this show before. I, I think that yeah. he is the one that broke open the whole rift between Ray Anderson and Bobby Hurley. Yep. So he wrote an article, and the title is Time to Face Reality, colon, and then a it says no one is playing college football in the fall, and it wasn't in quotations. It was in the in the single quotation, not in the double. So you know, kind of paraphrasing. And on its surface, that headline that it looks like hyperbole. It looks like an inflation clickbait. Until you dive deep into the article that we're going to put in the show notes. What's the first thing that stood out to you, Ralph, after you saw the title? That I, I when I saw the title, I didn't see the quotation marks. And so I thought Pete Thamel was just being incredibly dramatic. I thought he was trying to make a massive splash with an opinion piece. And then it hit me that like, that's not really what he does. And so I noticed that the, it's quotations in the, um, uh, in the actual headline around no one is playing college football in the fall. So once I saw that, I was like, oh, somebody said this. So if he's just quoting somebody, maybe he forgot to put the source's name in the original headline. Um, I, I was trying to give him the, you know, the benefit of the doubt there. And it turns out it is a quote, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's just reporting on what somebody said. He's painting a very bleak uh, picture with using multiple sources to say that this isn't going to happen. And so I, it was definitely a wild ride going from headline to reading through this thing. Here are a couple quotes. Third paragraph in quote from a power five athletic director right now. I don't see a path in the current environment to how we play. I'm confident we'll get back to what we all think of normal, but it may be a year before that happens. A couple paragraphs later. Ultimately, no one is playing football in the fall, said a high-ranking college football official. It's just a matter of how it unfolds. As soon as one of the Autonomy Five or Power Five conferences makes a decision, that is going to end it. And it goes on to make very valid points about the MLS, how they're playing in a bubble, and they already had to remove two teams, and they're close to shutting down. MLB having trouble with testing. You have 13,000 FBS players. You can't put them in a bubble. The NBA's bubble cost $150 million and you're having players break out of the bubble. 
So how are you supposed to do that? They said, he says in there, the chances of playing college football being played in some recognizable form in the fall are attempting to keep a candle lit while walking 10 miles in a hurricane. Yeah, this is, uh, this is bleak. It is incredibly bleak. Uh, at the same time, if this entire thing is just predicated on one conference pulling the plug, who do you think that conference would be, George? Because I don't, I'm Pac 12's not leading on anything. There's no Pac-12 way. Pac-12 hasn't led on anything. I put when uh, the Big Ten said that they were going to conference-only schedules, I was willing to bet dollars to donuts that, like, I was like, there's no way in hell that that Larry Scott is not fourth or fifth in announcements. But turns out he got COVID. So I didn't know that piece of information when I said that. Had I known that he got COVID, then yes, I would have uh, not thought he would have been last. What do you? How did you react to that news? By the way, since that's a pretty big topic, we cover the Pac-12. The person in charge, who we've spent a lot of time criticizing, um, ended up testing positive. What was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was one I'm a little bit ashamed of. I mean, just to be perfectly honest, because we are real with our uh, with the Pac-12 Apostles family. My initial thing was because I, I like to keep things light and humorous. I was like, well, well, maybe you won't have to fire. But like not him dying. I Like it wasn't about that. I was just like, you know, when you make a stupid joke and I thought, wow, no, this is pretty serious. Like that would suck. I mean, as much as, yeah. you know, I've criticized I, Larry Scott about being the commissioner and some of the terrible moves he's made and not being a, you know, one of the leaders in college football and not leading the conference into financial, well, leading the conference into financial ruin. I do not in any sort of way want any, uh, you know, bad thing, even if it's not death, if it's just a sickness, like that, that would just be awful. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and the last thing that you want to see is somebody actually having something bad happen to him. That was that yeah. was my whole thought process through it. And I hope he comes comes out 100 percent healthy and then we can go about the business of, you know, him getting forced out and pushed out. <laughs> well, so I, I would give yourself some grace because I think my initial reaction and you know, it, it's it's not one that comes out because I have self-control was like, all right, every time I see Larry Scott's name in the news, I'm always faced with a choice of like, do I give a take on this or do I kind of make light of it? And so I'm so used to doing that, that this comes in and my first thought was like, well, what would be kind of a, a, a silly spin on this is like, won't it be nice to root for uh to to root for Larry Scott to to win a battle, you know, because so many people just kind of want to see him get out of there. And and I get that it's like a light hearted, light spirited, well intended joke. Um, and at the same time, I had the same reaction as you. I was like, man, no, this is really serious. Like, 
I've got a colleague down here who's been uh, a close colleague of mine who's been sick for the last couple of weeks. One of my other colleagues' father-in-law passed away. Another colleague's mother, you know, was able to to push through it. And I was like, there's not, I mean, there's not even anything really light or, or, or funny about this. Like I, I'm just hoping for him to get better and for there not to be any long-term effects because it's, you know, this type of stuff is real. Everything else is just a game. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, he gets our, our thoughts and prayers. Um, I, and at the same time, we also need some leadership in the conference to lead the way and steer the ship because there is, you know, to, to go back to the Peter Thama article for a second, like there are some big decisions that have to be made because the, the PAC 12 and the big 10, um, you know, they have decided to go with quote unquote conference only schedules. But there has been some pushback on that from people saying, well, that's not logical because sometimes conferences, you have to travel further than some of the teams on their schedules. But the whole reason for the conference only schedules is that way conferences can be nimble and postpone games, cancel games, depending on the situation to still get those games in. And Thamel went even further in the... um, in the article to say that the stat that the sec big 12 and acc that they're still at the status quo like they're going to play football the sec put out a statement just like the well they put out a statement just like the acc did that said that everything would be well the acc said that everything would be postponed until september 1st and the sec said everything except football is postponed until september 1st which I thought was weird because their commissioner, Greg Sankey, has been painting a very grim outlook and picture on the potential of college football. And if any conference is going to steam forward, it is the SEC. So them uh, also said that he said there's basically four stages of this, that there's the three conferences, the SEC, Big 12 and ACC that are still at status quo. Then the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are at the conference play ability to delay all of that then there's the spring he said that this is gaining conversation but a lot of the detractors remain because your top guys are going to opt out agents are going to swoop in get guys to go uh train for the draft and all of that but it, that ultimately won't affect college fo- football as much as people think it will um then there is cancel and he said more people are talking about this than fans want to know and Oof. if Thamel says that, you know that that is a huge conversation. More people are talking about this than fans want to know. And we don't want to be the doom and gloom people. And I've said this for a while. And months ago, I said I was when everybody said they were coming back. I said, I will believe it when I see it. And now here we are today. And... I mean, you guys can read the rest of the article, but it was just, it was very deflating for me because I I got hope last week. I messed up. I messed up when they announced the college football schedule, the, the conference only schedules, like, you know, the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. 
I was at acceptance, even though uh, other people weren't there yet. They were like, oh, no, they were still in denial. And when they announced the conference only schedules, Ralph, I moved back to bargaining and it just and it was the, the wrong move, dude. I, I, I got my hopes up. I was like the the boyfriend who got in a fight with his girlfriend. And then I'm checking my text messages every five minutes to see if she texts back. And it didn't happen. You know, there's people out there that think that you're happy about this, right? Like that there's this, this. No way. Are you serious? Yeah. That, that, that you were preaching doom and gloom from the outset. I remember when you first saw a picture of um, people on the beach in Florida, you were like, these guys are going to, you know, cost us football. And I'm sure there's people out there that people I'm more than sure there's a lot of people out there that think that you make these comments because that's what you want to manifest. Like that's what you actually want to see happen. They think that you'd rather be right than entertained. You know, that, that to me is stupid because I love college. Why do I do this podcast? I love college football. I love I thought you football. Liked hanging out I with love me. sports, huh? I thought you just liked hanging out with me. I mean, sort of, but <laughs> no, no. But seriously, I love college football, and my freaking team, the Oregon Ducks, are going to be fantastic this this year. I was looking forward to Ohio State. I made sure I had the re- the weekend off from Fox to go to the game. I was taking my entire family to the game. We were booked. So why the hell would I not want college football? I mean, it, it, it's just an easy and a lazy take by by people, I think, to, to uh, say, oh, you're just painting doom and gloom. Why don't you be more optimistic? No, I'm just being realistic. Like, they, um, we need a miracle at this point in time. People could have done things way before now, but now it's like it it's uh, almost like the uh, the a person who where the like those nursery rhymes where the where the squirrel or whatever, they don't prepare for the winter and then the winter comes and then they're like, oh, snap, <laughs> I should have saved up some more acorns and you didn't. <laughs> And now, and now you're here. Now you see, oh, hold up. Maybe we need to save acorns up for January because we can make it to January. It can happen. Do the right thing. And I'm just frustrated, bro. I, I, I think that there's people that believe that this is so politicized that the, like, the... The, like there's some left wing conspiracy to not want sports anymore or it's about the election or something like that I don't care about any of that I just want I, I would love for the return of sports and I, I mean I would trade absurd amounts of things I'm, I'm not focused on wanting to be right <laughs> about any of this and there are things, and I think maybe it's people who aren't parents who don't understand that there are things that you take no pleasure in being right about. Yep. Right. Like I sit around the dinner table with my kids and I see that their glass is too close to the edge of the table 
and I say, you're going to spill that. And when they spill that, I don't pat myself on the back. Like, it's more work for me. It's an inconvenience for me. It's to the point where if I'm in a restaurant and I see other people's kids with their glass too close to the edge of the table, that I will reach over and touch that kid's drink just to move it up. And then I'll wink at the parent and be be on my way. Because it's that there are things that you don't take pleasure in being right about. It just is conviction and common sense for you. And that's what I felt like you were hammering home the entire time. But I, there are people, uh, you know, who, who either think this is a hoax or that people overreacted or don't want their freedoms in, in, infringed upon that when you do say, Hey, this is what I told you, they're going to take that as you enjoying rubbing it in their faces that they were wrong when you're just trying to point out to them that like, Hey, there's no shame in thinking sensibly. This was the ultimate outcome. If we never took this seriously in the first place. Facts. 100% facts, Ralph. Dude. And this has led us to what is the biggest issue? Why that's even bigger than people's entertainment that college football is in sports in general is at a crisis level because in professional sports, they will make it. The owners are billionaires. They can figure it out, but it would destroy their salary cap situations for a year and you know, and kind of mess everything up, but, but they will be okay. College football is different. Because these athletic departments are run on budgets. And depending on what states you live in, the school is only allowed to do certain things. Like the school can give the athletic department loans, like we've seen at UCLA and at Cal. Some states don't allow that. Some schools don't have the the necessary uh, endowments to, to eat up this money. And we have learned... That college football, we've said it here for a while from everything from the coaching salaries, which we'll talk about, that it has been built on a financial house of cards. And now the house of cards is crumbling down because if you have Pac-12 schools generating over a hundred or close to or over a hundred million dollars a year in in income. In revenue. And the way their budgets work is they spend all of it intentionally. That way then it can go up the next year. They spend it on everything from locker room upgrades to coaching salaries to, you know, administrative salaries, extra positions, whatever. They spend the money. And as a person who listens to Dave Ramsey (laughs) and financial, uh, and owns my own business. The truth is, if I'm making, is if I've been making a bunch of money for a bunch of years, if I can't even survive one year or six months without most of my revenue, I have been irresponsible with my money. Would you agree with that? You sure? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. I, I think it's different if you, if you, um, 
you know, if you are a person who's living to paycheck to paycheck, then yes, you're not going to be able to live, um, you, you, you know, six months or a year. But when you're making that type of money and the, the PAC 12 did have an emergency fund of 22 million, 21, 22 million dollars. But was that enough? You know what I mean? Like, was was that enough to handle a crisis? Big where sports was stopped for a while. I think that people never believed that the that there could be a doomsday scenario. They didn't believe it. I yeah, think anytime you of, make, I think anytime you make that level of money, you're so intoxicated by it that you, there's never a thought that this could stop. Like if you. If if the whole thing about a nest egg for like an emergency is three months salary or something like that, then you would have to put together the entire income of the conference and divide by four. And I'm assuming that the entire income of the conference is enormous and that, you know, uh, <laughs> a third of that or, or a fourth of that would be a lot more than, than they had saved up for a rainy day. But then again, at least they had something saved for a rainy day. It's not going to be enough because everything is so bloated. This bubble, all it took for this bubble to burst was a four-month interruption in the way that we do things as a society. That's it. And this bubble, this bubble was headed for astronomical places. I think there's like a frog in boiling water thing that's going on here that fans have just grown accustomed to these mega salaries and everything like that. But if you think back to 1997, there was only one coach, I think, Steve Spurrier, that was making over $1 million a year. And so if you project out 20 years from – 1997 22 years from 1997 to where we are now with the the last season being played and the salaries being what they what they were if you then project that out another 20 years we're talking about the highest paid coaches in college football between the years of 2037 to 2040 making above 50 million dollars per year if we continue on the same trajectory and to us that would seem completely absurd seated where we're at now, or at least to me it would, that to think that somebody at Alabama or Florida or Texas A&M is getting $50 million a year. But that's the path we're headed down if we continue at the rate of growth uh, that we're on. That was never a sustainable thing. And so, you know, you could say that it's big time armchair quarterbacking to say the conference should have done more. And at the same time, if you just look at the rate of growth and realize what it's going to take to clean up a mess of such a bloated uh, thing that college football has become, then you can definitely say, oh, they they did not have the foresight or anticipate this, and someone should maybe be held accountable for that. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's anybody to quote-unquote hold accountable because I don't think that you could have convinced anybody to save more money. I don't think you could have, especially when the conference was uh, in – distributing $33 million per school in media rights in 2019 compared to, you know, uh, 44.6 by the sec and 50 something by the, by the big 10. 
So you couldn't have convinced people to hold up some of that, that money because, you know, they would have said, no, we need that money. We, you know, you're messing up our budgets, all of this. And I've heard so many people say, we have to play because we, the colleges need the money. They have to play. And it's weird to me because a lot of these same people are the same people that say that college athletes should not be paid and they shouldn't be allowed to trade on their name, image, and likeness. Otherwise they should pay for their own schooling. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. You know, either they're student athletes because if the students aren't on campus, how can you ask the athletes to be there? If you're going to claim that they're student athletes and shouldn't be, be paid. There's just a lot of hypocrisy in that. But to go back to what you were saying, though, about the coaching salaries, I definitely think that that the bubble probably has burst because if you're looking at the cuts that a lot of these um, athletic departments are saying, they're talking about 7% cuts. If you lose 60% of your set of, of your income, which they're potentially going to lose, how is a 7% cut even going to put a dent in it? It's not. You're going to have to. These athletic departments are so bloated and, and the system set up to where you have to spend every dollar you bring in. You have to do that. You're technically a nonprofit. So if you have three million dollars left over in your budget at the end of the year, you got to take that down to a booster owned print shop and print out 10,000 Oregon State placards to hand out to to people like you have to spend the money that comes in and then that's how you also anticipate your future budget so colleges could have saved billions for a rainy day on their own if they if they weren't held to this standard that it's dollar in dollar out yeah and the other issue is not only dollar in dollar out but also now you're going to have, well, with all this pushback and all this, you're looking at how do these coaches who some of them are up for, for contracts like Mario Cristobal at, at Oregon, and you're having other coaches who were, would have been up for huge contracts. How do you square that with what some of these other coaches are made and guaranteed through 2024, 2025? You know, coaches making, you know, Devil Sweeney's on a, what, $90 million contract? And if you go win a national championship, are you then supposed to play on a $5 million contract? You see what I'm saying? Like, are those coaches going to take pay cuts? Or are, like, how do you, how do you fix that? That's the part that's hard. I mean, NFL rookies had to eat that when they structured slotted contracts that were team friendly, you know, after Sam Bradford and, and, and Matt Stafford cashed in the way they did after Glenn Robinson held the entire NBA hostage. How's that for a throwback reference right. after Glenn Robinson held the entire NBA hostage, trying to ask for a hundred million dollar deal 
coming out of college. And I think he ended up with like $68 million on his rookie deal. The NBA yeah. did the same thing. They had slotted contracts that had team options and were, were, were team friendly. I think that you just deal with the reality that you get at the time. You know, some of these schools are going to have to fulfill the contracts, um, that they're currently under. But then again, you might see schools renege on some of those things based on maybe like act of God clauses or something like that. I mean, just look at the fact that uh, Brett Bielema is being, um, isn't he being sued right now? Um, and he's also countersuing for his salary when they said you didn't negotiate in good faith and try to go out and get, a job, uh, University of Arkansas is saying that, that you you have to apply for equal value jobs. And because you didn't do that, we're not going to pay you the remainder of your salary. You know, you never know what loopholes are out there where people will try to protect their financial liabilities. You might see people just outright declare bankruptcy or insolvency of some kind, and, and then they just can't pay out salaries. We don't know how bad it's going to get. And so I think there yeah, comes a time when Beggars can't be choosers. You know, I already know a college football uh, administrative staff member who was going into his first year as a recruiting director, and all of a sudden they had to anticipate for future budgets, and he got laid off before he even got to start. Um, That type of stuff's going to happen everywhere, and so everybody's going to have to tighten their belt. And that's just the way it is. So it's some of it's not going to make sense and some of it's not going to be fair. But how fair was it for the number one overall pick who followed Matt Stafford and Sam Bradford? How much choice did they really get in the matter? You know, the situation was the situation. And I think that people are just going to have to put their their big boy pants on and, and deal with some of the cutbacks that are that are coming and realize that they lived in such an inflated and blessed time Um that they should not have been taking for granted because, you know, anybody who understands what a bubble looks like and, and what, you know, that something can't continue to grow at that rate infinitely uh, would have understood that college football could not have continued on the track that it was on, regardless of whether there was a pandemic, there was going to be a limit to this. Yeah, it was going to, one of those things, it's got to stop somewhere. It's got to stop somewhere. I mean, there people may point to, Oh, well, well, how about the quarterback salaries in college in pro football? That's different. Pro football revenue goes up every it's gone up every single year from I think 97 where it was $4 million all the way up to it's going to be like 17 this year. And after the new TV money, it'll be 25 I'm sorry, I didn't mean million, billion. Um like 25 billion in the next 5 years probably. And the so, protection on it, the protection on it is that even if people can't go to games, then that just increases the value of the broadcast yep. because that's where everybody's going to be and that's, that's what they're going to crave. So there is no, uh, outside of just not having the sport exist anymore, there is no end to what football can do and how big it can become because it's all about where the, where the eyeballs are. And we've never been in a situation where we – would be more welcoming of in-home live sports than we are now. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk to Ralph about an interesting angle that people aren't really, um, that push the f- season back, keep kicking the can down the street that people aren't really thinking about and listening. 
and paying attention to is on a college team, you have in between like 100 and 130 players between uh, 85 scholarship guys and then your walk-ons. And every time you kick the can, well, the, the college coaches have a very tough job right now because they are trying to keep those young men focused, safe, focused, and making good decisions and keeping them um, from engaging in normal college kid behavior, which we have seen has led to breakouts in, in uh, fraternity houses and other places on college campuses. So they're trying to keep those kids focused, making good decisions in an, in an controlled environment, but there's no end in sight. Everything keeps getting pushed back. And eventually these young kids are, it's going to be hard to keep them focused. Oh, well, 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 we'll wait till October. We'll wait till November. We'll wait till December. And pros, you can do that a little bit more because they are professionals and they're grown ass men. But for kids, it's different. And these are young men. Yes, they're not just kids. They're, they're young men. But the but the focus level for college kids is totally different. And I think that you put yourself at more risk when there isn't a finite date or finish line for college students. They definitely need direction and they certainly need structure. I mean, we all do. Um, but yeah, I, I would say uh, <laughs> I would say that it's definitely going to be trouble. Like, like football is definitely a lifesaver for some people, you know, some people that have been in my, um, life once football ended for them, you know, that was definitely when the, when, when the trouble started, I got a couple of linebackers, um, from my, from my high school team that I played with that have been in and out of prison for the last 18 years. And my actual high school football coach spent, uh, just got out after an eight year, uh, prison stint that when football was out of all of their lives for different reasons, you know, it, they, they, they didn't have anything to, to look forward to and no structure, um, to, to help get them through the day. And that's definitely one of the things that I worry about that, you know, it's going on right now. If, they, if, if everybody's kind of in an aimless situation, um, and the whole country is in sort of, um, dire uh financial need and there's pent-up aggression from not being able to get out there and 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 just exist in society all these things um with with the political tensions that are out there everything's just super combustible and that's you know i don't want to see anybody get in trouble just i worried about it enough just with the with the protests you know and i'm glad some teams made sure that they were more organized and overseen than just kind of allowing people to get out there and you know in 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 the streets and possibly cost themselves an opportunity or more um yeah i'm i'm definitely worried about it man i think that that you know as much as that's a health crisis i think everything can be really boiled down to some level of of health crisis and not having a uh, sports around could essentially be a crisis of health whether mental or physical for a lot of young men out there yeah you said it perfectly. And now we're going to transition from all that seriousness to 
a new segment that we're going to put in. Let me put on my game short voice so we can hear it. Now it's time for start one, sit one, and cut one with Ralph Amsden and George Reister. The way the game is played is you have three things. You have to start a thing, you have to sit a thing, and you have to cut a thing. So today, Ralph, we've got two different topics. The first thing is we're going to go with candy bars. Which candy bar are you starting which one are you sitting and which one are you cutting? But we'll start with the starting. Well, my, my starter, my number one, by part, part of it's probably because I grew up a child of the, the 1990s watching the Simpsons. But for me, it's, it's Butterfinger. It's got the uh, chocolate and the peanut butter, which is the greatest combination in the history of sweets. Uh, and then it's got like the flakiness, which, which I like. It's fun to get some Butterfinger stuck in your teeth for, for later. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Butterfinger. Only downside on the Butterfinger is the chocolate uh, coating melts so quick. So if you pick it up in a grocery store, you hold it in your hand for more than five seconds, then you're leaving a bunch of chocolate on the inside of the wrapper. So not a big fan of that, but outside of that, Butterfinger, perfect candy bar. <laughs> you're joking, right? No, Are nobody better lay a finger, man. A Butterfinger? Butter yep. Dude, I, I, I wish the uh, the options were start one, sit one, cut one, and nuke one. I would nuke a Butterfinger. Uh, you couldn't pay me. Well, yes, you could pay me enough to eat a Butterfinger, but there's zero times I would voluntarily eat a Butterfinger. I would eat a score before I would eat a Butterfinger. That candy sucks, dude. But That candy bar is terrible. <laughs> My start one is a classic. It is the ultimate candy bar. Snickers satisfies you. Peanut butter, caramel, what you got? Nugget, chocolate. Dude, it, it is the optimal candy bar. It is a it is a meal. And it and like it is much like a butterfinger. You better catch it at room temperature. It's good in a freezer. You actually have Snickers ice cream. You have Snickers uh, uh, ice cream bars. It is the optimal candy, and that's why it is a starter candy. The only possible answer. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I'm a Snicker in a freezer is you, you can't sleep on that for sure. But it's got it's half nougat. Like that's the particle board of candy. Like that's the thing, the fake wood desk or a door that's that cheap crap i'm i don't i don't need that give me like a reese's take five or something just get the nougat completely out of the the equation and we're good um but i i do respect it because I, I will say snickers in a freezer is that's an elite that that's an elite situation just to have an ice cold bar i like that yeah um who are you sitting oh because of the nougat situation we'll go with the all nougat candy bar uh, Three Musketeers, which commercials were ten times better uh, than, than the actual experience of eating the candy. Um, I, I'll tell you what, when I go through my kids' pillowcases uh, on, on the night of Halloween and I'm picking out the stuff that I'm saying that I'm testing to see if it's been poisoned. Um, but, the, you know, the truth is I'm just getting first dibs uh, taxing their taxing their uh, <laughs> haul. Um, I leave them every single 
uh, three musketeers, and then they end up leaving them, and then I end up throwing them out in mid-December, because who cares? It's just, it's only nougat. It's not even worth, it's not even worth, like, peeling the chocolate off the outside. It's no good. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. You, you made a quality, I, actually, no, no, I, I, I would I would cut three three musketeers too. It's not even worth worth eating. The 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 one that I'm gonna sit. I'm I, I took I took my sit a different angle than you took it. I'm sitting a candy bar that I don't want very often. Like he did this candy bar comes off the bench. He scores big when he comes off the bench, and he's a quality role player. But there is no chance that this candy bar could ever be a starter. It can't start anywhere. And that is an Almond Joy. And Almond Joy is a good bench candy. It, it it comes in, it's in its own little individual wrapper thingy, and then it's got the little almond in it. It's got the, the uh, coconut. It is a fantastic candy, and that's why it's a sitter candy, because you can't eat that every day. You can eat a Snickers every day, but you can't eat an Almond Joy every day. Try to argue against that, right? I love almond joys, man. <laughs> I really do. Um, but you got to be—you—you you for sure have to be in the mood for them. They're like that spot starter, that middle reliever. Um, but they're not. Yeah, they're definitely not a go-to. Like when I'm in the gas station and I'm trying to buy something sweet, I'm never gonna just buy an almond joy. But another one of those Halloween situations where if I go through one kid's bag and there's like six almond joys in there, the mini kind, I'm gonna take them all, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, and I'm gonna eat them right ones. then back to back to back to back so no i i, I get that. I, that that is a respectable choice what candy bar are you cutting oh easy easy i mean big and it's i would have cut this one but i've already nuked a butterfinger the only thing that could possibly even be close to a butterfinger is a reese's reese's peanut butter cups or reese's pieces either one is a cut candy I would rather eat candy corn than either one of those things. It's just atrocious and they're 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 just awful, dude. Peanut butter and chocolate is a not a good com- combination. It's barely good in smoothies and protein shakes. Barely. I mean just barely tolerable. So, yeah, so it gets cut and the, the butterfinger gets nuked again. Well, if you're not going to take up for George Washington Carver's masterpiece, I certainly am. That's oh unacceptable. God. Reese's Pieces are fantastic. Not only are they fantastic, but how can you be my age having watched ET and not been influenced that like that like that's the perfect candy to straight up eat off the ground. <laughs> Just like ET did. Like ET is uh, Reese's Pieces are good enough to get you captured on another planet that's how good those are <laughs> just terrible dude I, I can't figure out why anybody eats those things and why they like them i mean it's super popular and i'm just not in it um the next thing up we got on start one sit one and well, cut one i gotta cut one i gotta cut a candy oh, sorry. real quick i'll make it real world's world's greatest you know what i'm talking about the dollar uh, candy bar, like the ones you get for fundraisers at school, where you got to sell oh. them for a dollar a piece. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking. About. And they they've actually raised the prices on those. Some of them are two dollars now. 
yeah, here's why I'm cutting that stuff. Because, one, it's delicious. And if you ever crave it, you can't have it because it only comes around in school fundraiser time. So that part of it pisses me off. Two, it was fine when I was a kid and I'd find a way to like sneak a few of them and then my parents would have to like find a way to like to, to pay for it. Like I'm the only one fundraising because I'm the one eating the candy bars. Um, but as a parent, now that, I, now that I've got kids, what a pain in the ass. I don't want to sell. I just end up buying the candy bars from them because I don't want to bother all my friends. All my friends have kids too. Everybody gets the same fundraiser stuff. What are we supposed to hit each other up? <laughs> you might as well just buy them. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, I got to get that. Whether it's world's best or world's greatest, whatever it is, cut it, get rid of it forever. Because if at least if it's gone, gone, then I won't feel bad that I crave it and I can't have it. But it's like Girl Scout cookies. Like you want one of those chocolate bars. Too bad the fundraiser's nine months away. Dude, I don't even like that. I don't like world's greatest. I used to. I used to before I knew better. I mean, I, I don't get the crisps. No, it's all almond. And the the reason why I don't fool with world's greatest is because I, I have evolved in my chocolate eating. I don't I don't eat Hershey's chocolate bars either because they, they taste grainy. And the chocolate is not good quality like world's greatest used to be. So what's it your has, go to? What's your go to just straight up chocolate bar then? Oh, Lint. What the hell is that? Lint, L-I-N-D-T. It's it's the little blue. It comes in a in a in a in a box. No, I never had no idea what you're even talking about. I've never even heard of it. Oh, L E N or L I L I N D T, L I N D T, lint, lint, like the garbage, like eating lint. No, not L I N T, L I N D T. Oh, the ones that make those stupid the 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 cherries that aren't as good as they should be the. Yeah. You're talking about the okay, so th- they come in like the, um, the little baggies. Like no, 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 no. You're thinking about the truffles. No, those are the truffles. I'm talking about the the chocolate it's a bar. Chocolate bar. Yes. Okay. It, it's a big rectangle bar, and it's cut the same way like a Hershey's bar is in little itty bitty squares. Mm-hmm. Except for it is high quality Swiss chocolate. I know okay. I'm getting a little fancy on people paying no, 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 $4 dollars for a chocolate bar, but that's what I like. So that's why I don't eat world's greatest. Um, my, my go-to is Dove, believe it or not. I, I like those little, the, the, the Dove squares. Dove those isn't all bad. Right. Dove isn't bad. Is, that, is it the same people that make the soap, though? It's not like... That's weird if they make soap and chocolate. Is it, is it like uh, Kirkland makes everything, right? Kroger makes everything. You can you can do more than one thing. I just don't know if the soap people and the chocolate people are the same. Maybe one of our listeners can can help us out here. But the little dove, the milk chocolate, the blue squares, that's my go-to on if I'm just eating straight chocolate. Hmm. Hmm. I don't I, I I will not frown upon dove. Uh, but guys, that was our new segment. Uh, start one, sit one, cut one, and I nominate a nuke one. But uh, you guys send in your comments. See, tell tell us what you think about it because we're trying to make the show better for you. Um, next thing up, we have the Pac-12 recruiting. There has been a lot going on on the Pac-12 front. 
people are, you know, concerned and very scared in some locations, like down in Arizona. The and some places are flourishing still, like in Eugene, Oregon, USC still flourishing. Both of them are in the top 10 in um in rankings. Well, in uh the recruiting rankings on both sites, I believe, on rivals and on on 24-7. But you have some other schools that aren't doing quite as well. So uh, in since the last time we talked, Ralph, what has been going on on the recruiting front? Well, I mean, I, there's definitely some teams that have kind of kicked it into high gear, and there's a few that I personally feel like have some cause for concern. Um, we've talked about previously on this show, just because of the way that things are shaking out and the way that spots were filling up, we have way more teams that have uh, over 10 commits than typically would at this point in the season. You usually see a lot of people committing in June and July or August, right before the season starts. And then the rest of the people, pro- probably a good, probably a good 30% of the top 300 recruits recruit uh, commit around the December early signing period era. And then you'll get like the, the stragglers, um, you know, probably five of the top 25 guys are still left going into that February signing period. And so um, it, it's very rare for almost every major school um, in at the FBS level to have the amount of commits that they currently have. I mean, schools like Northern Illinois who in a traditional year might only have three or four commits at this time at most have 14 Navy already has 35. They do recruiting a little bit differently. Miami of Ohio has 19. Remember there's a 25 scholarship ship limit from year to year. Georgia tech's already at 16. Some of the schools are at the top of the recruiting rankings are are there just because of volume, Michigan, Florida, and Tennessee all have over 20 commits already. So does Louisville. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely a pretty wild time in recruiting. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. I doubt we'll ever see anything like this ever again. Um, And because of that, it is very concerning to me that some Pac-12 schools have not had any traction when it's a lot easier to pick up those verbal commitments early on in the season. Oregon State is currently ranked last among all Power 5 schools, only ahead of North Texas and University of Houston with six total commits. Only three of them are at a three-star or above level, and none of them are above the three-star threshold. University of Utah is another one that's way down on the list, currently ranked number 81 in the country by rivals. After all the success that they've had, they only have six current commits um, in their 2021 class. Arizona State, which made some huge gambles to capitalize on recruiting momentum, is 0 for 11 head-to-head with University of Oregon, 0 I think 0-5 head-to-head with Cal and 0-12 head-to-head with USC. They only have eight commits right now, and they've resorted to recruiting in North Carolina and Wisconsin. They're trying to raid Big Ten country for for some of the players that that they're getting. Um, The schools that are really showing out right now, as far as just overall quality of commits, University of California continues to impress. 
Um, Stanford's kind of in the boat that it's always in, but in a weird situation where we're not sure if, you know, they're going to keep their same entrance requirements that they have while the NCAA overall isn't even, you know, looking at stuff like SET and ACT scores heading into the, the upcoming season. So we don't know what Stanford's in store for, but this is typically where they're at right now in the process. The teams that have had some success, UCLA has 12 commits. Um, and like you said, Oregon and USC are are definitely killing it right now. I think 12 of Oregon's 17 commits are all four-star or above. And the the comeback from USC over the last couple of down years in recruiting is is definitely um, kind of a wake-up call to the rest of the Pac-12 as they currently have 12 four-star commits as well. And that, um, that's really the kind of the, the recruiting breakdown. University of Washington obviously having the one five-star commit to go along with their three uh, four-star commits and 13 commits overall uh, shows that they're doing well, but they want to be ranked way higher than 27th in the country, which is currently where they're at, according to rivals. Yeah, I, I think they're when I'm following a lot of the message boards, and I think next week we are going to have a Washington guest um, uh, Kayla, uh, Olin. So she does a, a podcast about the dogs and all of that. And I'm, and I was interested, um, in, in that, because if you look at, you know, the Washington message boards in particular, they have been, their kind of fan base gauging their, their fan base is like, they're saying, all right, we just need to get recruits on campus. They need to see the campus and, and, you know, COVID is messing up our recruiting, but everybody's kind of in the same boat and their hopes are in their in-state commits. I'm not going to try to say his name. EE, the, the uh, wide, the, the wide receiver. Um, what's his name, Ralph? Which wide receiver are you talking from, about? From from uh from from Washington, EE, uh, Emeka. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go- um, and he hasn't has he committed yet? Did he commit no, to no, 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 no. Okay, give me a second. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna nail his name for you. I got this one. Okay, and they are um in the boat for JTT. I use their initials. It's um that's Ralph's favorite player in the class of 2021. He is the second rated player uh, or first rated player, d- depending on where you look. And he. So you're talking then, about, you're talking about JT to a Malau. Yeah. 6'4", 275 out of Bellevue. East side Catholic. Yeah. He's, he's all right. <laughs> and that's what Washington is kind of banking their, their recruiting on. They want yeah, those you're, two you're guys. Number one. Your number one receiver in the country, currently, at least according to rivals, the number eleven player overall is Emeka Egbuka, who is out of Steelacoom, Washington. Uh, he's six one one eighty, and I gotta say, I've, I've seen a lot of these guys play. He is not one of the ones that I have seen. What? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of these twenty twenty one kids because the camp circuit wasn't an option for me this year, and neither was the rivals five star challenge because it all got uh, canceled. I went to one camp um, on the west coast and saw some good players, but I'm missing out on a lot of the top guys this year. Yeah, and and that sucks because you get a chance to see a ton of these these kids, 
And um, yeah, and this year just makes it extremely tough on everybody. But Cal, though, Cal is absolutely killing it, even though that they only have nine commits. They have five four stars, which is a significant upgrade, which is more than Washington and UCLA have combined and more than actually, sorry, that's more than every other school in the Pac-12 not named Oregon or USC has combined. How about that? In commits at this point, like I, I knew that we would see a big transition, Ralph, with um, the winter signing day. And last year we saw a lot of kids commit in commit and sign in winter few. It kind of destroyed the, the February signing date thing, except for, you know, the, uh, the kid who ended up going to South, South Carolina and the, and the, the, the running back out of Texas that flip flopped like 50 times. <laughs> but aside from that, it really wasn't a big splash. And I, now I think we're seeing things regress toward what it's going to be. I think you're going to get a lot of early recruits. And I think a lot of these kids want to lock in their spots now, especially knowing that their college football seasons aren't going to happen. They want to get locked in, graduate early, and then just check in in the winter because they're they're saying, well, why am I going to stay here now? I can just I can get to school, get working out and try to start the following year. Do you think we're going to have a uh, high school season? No, I find it very unlikely that we are. Well, I think the high school season probably will happen closer to January, maybe February. And if so, it's going to look a lot different. Like I think that you're going to have some of the higher rated kids who are already committed, check out because they're going to be like, listen, I'm not getting hurt. I already got a scholarship. I'm out. And I think that you're going to have some kids who really need it, who are trying to move up and get scholarship offers. I think that those kids are going to play. I think that they're absolutely going to play. Um, Next thing up, the civil war. So the civil war, Oregon versus Oregon state, it's been played like 123 times, and a lot of people are very upset that it's not going to be, that that's not going to be the name anymore. And I'll put the link, or you can check my Twitter. I did, I was part of a video that the University of Oregon put out because there was a lot of people who did not respond favorably to it, and they actually said some not borderline racist, but some racist things on message boards and all of that. And it just was a terrible look. And Dennis Dixon, who former quarterback at Oregon, who kind of spearheaded that people were very upset with him. He got threats and all kind of stuff. So they wanted to put out a video really in support of, of him and all of that. So, we did that, and you can find it on my Twitter. I'll put it in the show notes as as well. But um, what was your take on it, Ralph? I thought it was – I mean, my initial reaction, if I'm being honest, is I just thought it was us taking our eye off the ball. There's bigger issues out there, the things that matter more. The focus of the country seems to be on justice uh, for Breonna Taylor and and for, you know, her boyfriend um, and, you know, all these little concessions that seem to be taking place – 
uh, out of a, a sense of duty toward political correctness seem to not be the things that are the major priorities. And so my initial reaction is, oh, this is just another one of those overreaches that aren't addressing the real systemic issues um, that are out there. And then I started to think about my own situation where you know, my dad's from the Northern Cheyenne Res in Southeast Montana. I've always been against the whole Redskins thing. And I hear all the time people say that, oh, this whole, um, you know, Redskins getting to having to change their name. It's new. It's a result of cancel culture and PC culture. And I just think to myself, like, I've hated the name for 25 years, and I've been super vocal about it the entire time. And there's political cartoons that are floating around out there from, like, the 1972 Washington Evening Star um, that make fun of the fact that the the Redskins is a racial slur and talk about the fact that the, the team was, you know, insensitive and not changing their name in the same year that Stanford dropped Indians from from their nickname and went with Cardinal. And in the same year that Utah dropped Redskins from their nickname and went with Utes. So it's been an issue for 48 years. So then I thought to myself, well, maybe this has been something that's existed within the Oregon, Oregon state community for some time. And I just haven't been aware of it. So from that point on, I chose to just kind of shut up and listen. And ultimately it's not something that matters to me all that much. Yeah, and if I'm being honest about it, like I wanted to support Dennis Dixon in this and the other people because it mattered to them so much and to other people because I was focused on what you would call like some of those quote unquote bigger issues. And and as things got brought up, yes, I acknowledged the the things that they said. I got it. I was like, oh wow. I get why they have some sort of problem with it. And so the the video was about, you know, it's not the name, it's the game. And some people like you, like you said, they think that this is new or this is, you know, uh, that people haven't been talking about it or, you know, it's always been called the Civil War. No, it's not. Like it, in uh, It's only been called the Civil War since a writer wrote about it and it just kind of stuck. But in, in it was called the Oregon Football Classic before that. And I think and, and the but the part that really like bugged me the most was to see some of the terrible reaction by fans. To see some of the racist comments that they made in 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 literally or like not in conspiracy groups, not in random groups, but in actual Oregon football, Facebook groups, Reddit groups, all this. And it was just, it was just sad to see because Tom Herman made a great point. He said, uh, fans need to support the players the same way that they do off on the field as they do off the field. And that's where I kind of stood on it. Because it doesn't matter what you call the name. We've seen other rivalry names change. Uh, the Red River Shootout has changed to the Red River Rivalry. We've seen the Washington Bullets change to the Washington Wizards. We've seen the, you know, so many names change. And it doesn't matter. Because at this point in time, wouldn't people rather just say, uh, I don't care what goes on. Just give me football. I don't care what you call it. Just as long as it's a pig skin, that's all that matters. W would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I guess I, first of all, I don't care that much enough to necessarily disagree because it's not, it's not necessarily my cause, but I want to have empathy and sympathy or at least the ability to listen. And so, you know, I, I, I can agree with that. And then ultimately at the end of the day, there's for these people that really push back on stuff that doesn't have anything to do with them out of a fear of the spread of cancel culture or political correctness. You know, I I would just say, you know, take a chill pill and let some stuff go. It doesn't, some stuff doesn't ultimately matter all that much. Yep. And my my thing is, why are you so mad? Like (laughs) they, they didn't cancel the game. Why are you so mad that that's the part that I, I have been repeatedly saying to to myself, like when you see those people on videos who go off on Costco, I feel threatened and all this stuff when, when, when he's got a gun under his belt and all this, you're like, why are you so mad? I don't, I, I can't understand. I cannot for the life of me understand why they're so mad. Um, but one thing we're not mad about, we're not mad about our reviews. And you sure? Sit, no, I'm positive. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not mad. I'm. You know. Mm. So, <laughs> so since the last podcast, we've gotten some reviews, and this became a topic. If you guys are just joining us, because Ralph, in the beginning of the show, I asked people to leave five star reviews, and Ralph's like the he is the passive aggressive competitive person who pretends like he's not competitive, but he really is. And he really wants five-star reviews. I just am bold enough to ask for five-star reviews. Don't just leave a rating, leave a five-star rating. And so we started reading reviews and we thought we had something with our guy, Gorilla Bears, who left us a one-star review after we, uh, after a podcast about Morgan Scally, Scaly, Scally or Scaly? Scaly. You, Don't get us in trouble. I'm joking. I did that on purpose. Uh, Utah's uh, defensive coordinator and who was head coach in waiting, but not any, not anymore after he used a couple N words. And Gorilla Bears was he left a scathing review, and then he amended the review. And we we hoped that he would keep amending the review every week, but he decided to just drop the review. Period. He didn't want to be a part of it. So. Yeah, thanks, Gorilla Bears. I hope you're still a fan and listening, though. But, uh, Ralph, as you do, you can do the honors per usual and read our reviews. Okay, okay. Um, so do you want to go with the uh, the five-star review or the two four-star reviews out the gate? Oh, of course the five-star reviews. The five-star reviews get, get priority. All right, I, I enjoyed this one. This is from Last Hope of Cunningham's. Uh, five-star review said i wanted to give a four-star review just for the reaction of george however i did say if ralph went in on all the people who didn't take this seriously especially a certain person in nashville tennessee i would give a five star so here you go so that was our one five-star review and uh, he seems to be happy that uh, i went after a certain um talking head out there who has moved the goalposts several times regarding the uh, expectations for what COVID is doing to our country. Um, Four-star review from Santan Devil. Uh, 
<laughs> this is a fun one because he did the thing that we asked. And by we, I mean me because you don't want any part of this. But I said I would rather get a four-star review with an opportunity to earn a fifth star than get a five-star review. Um, that way people, I know they're paying attention and we know they're getting their real criticisms. Anyway, that's what this person did. <laughs> he left a four-star review. It said, Pact of Apostles is a good podcast, worth being on my subscription list. However, there's room for improvement. Don't worry, plenty of four-star podcasts make it to the league of five stars. Here's a few things that I enjoy in my five-star podcast. The podcast could use a few more notable repeating segments other than the star review segment. How about a weekly recap of Pac-12 football slash basketball verbal commits? Maybe a short-lived segment on Larry Scott each week. (laughs) Short-lived sounds hopeful. Um, You could call it Wine and Cheese with Larry or maybe the Leisure Suit Larry Report. If somehow there's a fun segment that's just fun, that would be cool too. I love the Adam Carolla podcast for just that. Maybe find a funny guest co-host who can produce a short snippet each week or every other week. So Santan Devil is setting a goal for us, George, to earn that fifth star from him. I know you'd rather just have the fifth star, uh, but that gives us something to think about. And this last four-star review is... Wait, hold on. I'm not, I'm not mad at his. Okay. I'm not mad at Santan Devil because... I have long thought, so I want to give him credit for this. I have say it said for a while that we should put some additional features in and we tested some out today and we'll, we'll see how it goes. So if you guys want to, I add in chime in, send it to I'm mad at unafraid show.com or hit us up on Twitter at pack 12 apostles or Ralph Ams in there at George Reister. <laughs> so I, this last one this is probably my favorite review ever um because it not only is it a four-star review with a criticism uh, on how we can get better we literally cannot appease this review uh it, it's quite the conundrum and here i'm gonna read it it's from i Dreyer. It says, great discussion of current Pac-12 events. I love the focused discussion on a number of Pac-12 relevant topics that aren't fully uh, limited by sports, but still have a sports focus. Would be a five-star if not for the weekly discussion of reviews. So... (laughs) Of which we're we're talking about right now. Yeah, we literally literally blew it by reading this person's review... uh, because the only thing keeping them from giving us a five-star review is us talking about reviews, uh, which is that that's a tough one. Cause I, I, I'm not sure we're going to stop doing that. So I'm, I, I don't know how you feel about that, George. I don't know if we're going to get this fifth star. Yeah. And, and I'm okay with that one because I think that people have enjoyed the review talk. And of course it has continued to change. Like it's conti- the ratings have continued to go up and we've gotten feedback and people are responding and it's become a thing. So hopefully our reviews become such a thing that it becomes that people want to go on and review reviews. I will be happy <laughs> with that as well. Um, but guys, of course, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles, sharing the time with us. And of course, share it with a friend, not just one friend, not just two friends, three, four, five, six friends, because that's how we grow the podcast. We need you. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter, like I said, at Ralph Amson, at George Reister, at Pac-12 Apostles, or send an email to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. And of course, leave a what, Ralph? 
hey, leave whatever review you want, you know? Oh, Do my Lord. Closed mouth don't get fed, bro. <laughs> um, peace out. Catch you guys next episode.